Chapter 14, Nananaba, The Long Walk to Ojo del Oso Hashkehithnaba and his group gathered their food supply, their livestock, and their belongings, and began moving southward. Within three days they were in Kinyasani, Hopi country. They camped at the base of the Hopi village of Hodavela for a couple of days then began their sad journey toward the eastern direction. As they moved in a southeastern direction to avoid the high mesas, they were met by white soldiers. Hashkeyit Napa told his people to stay close to one another, directing the women and children to the center of the group for protection. Accompanying the soldiers were Apache scouts who enjoyed ordering the Navajos around. With the early fall weather becoming cooler, the Nabeho people remained close to one another during the day and night. For the first few days, the soldiers and scouts were content to leave their Nabeho prisoners alone. It seemed the farther they moved eastward, the bolder the soldiers became. From the beginning, the Nabeho people were forced to walk long distances during the day, Hashkehilnapa talked to his people, asking them to tell their children to sing the songs they were taught. Ask your children to sing. The ground will move faster under their feet when they sing, he told the adults. In the evening, when the Nabeho were allowed to rest for the night, the Nabeho men were given permission to hunt for small game as long as they remained within sight of the soldiers. A few of the soldiers were ordered to accompany the men as they went scavenging for small game, roots, herbs, nuts and berries to preserve the corn and jerky they had brought with them. The soldiers were agreeable to this agreement because it meant they would have more to eat for themselves from the provisions they were given at the fort. At night, the dirty soldiers expressed a different kind of hunger. They openly demonstrated their want for the young Nabeho women the dirty soldiers could be seen circling the group of girls and women while on horseback. To get the attention of the girls and young women, they threw pebbles at them. The actions of the soldiers were those of children instead of grown men, which made it easy for the Nabeho women to ignore, causing the soldiers to become more pronounced in their obnoxious behavior. Hashkeh Yilnapa and Nenanapa told the women and children to stay as close to their elders as possible and to do as they were told by their elders. Hashkeh Yilnapa knew the soldiers were easily antagonized. During the day, the girls and women were to carry a spindle, carding brushes, or small grinding stones for the purpose of protection. During the evening, 
when the group was allowed to rest, the girls and young women were to busy themselves with the instruments they carried, while on the higher mesas, the women and girls attempted to pick juniper berries and pinyon nuts to be saved for the coming winter, but the soldiers became a menace when the girls and women left the safety of the group of Nabejo. Nananaba kept her eye on Tsekiznaz Ba because she noticed several soldiers had their eye on her. She promised her oldest son they would protect his young wife, and Nananaba was going to do all she could to make sure they kept their promise. Nananaba dug up some roots she had been looking for since they had left Tzilajin Black Mesa and placed them in a shallow gourd. Then she ground up the roots and moistened the roots with the spit of the young Nabeho children. Nananabat then wiped the herbal solution on Sekiznazbat's arms, hands, face, neck, breasts, and legs. She gave the older women the herbal solution and told them to wipe it onto the skin of their young girls and women. Within two days, the girls' and young women's skin broke out with what appeared to be painful blisters. Ninanabat noticed the soldiers were beginning to look upon her daughter-in-law with disgust and concentrated on looking for young girls whose skin was not so disgusting. To make the blisters appear to be an epidemic, Ninanabat covered all the young girls and young women's exposed skin in the same fashion. To confuse the enemy soldiers further, she applied the concoction to some of the young boys' skin as well. Her plan worked well. It kept the soldiers at a safe distance. When Tsek Iznazba asked Nananaba what had been applied to their skin, she was told the root was used to clear acne. The root gave a person new skin without causing scars, pain, or discomfort. It only caused the skin to look hideous. Nananaba told her daughter-in-law that in happier times, older women used the root to keep their appearance youthful, and it had worked for many Nabeho women. The ones with the skin epidemic were told to act like it was very painful. Nananaba made sure they stuffed the roots into several bags made of animal hide. The women were uncertain where they were going and when they would arrive there, but the potion would be needed to keep their enemies at a safe distance. After many days of walking eastward, Hashkehilnapa was puzzled because he recognized the area they were coming upon as the land the Nashtezh Zuni Pueblo people occupied. When they settled down for the night, he allowed his mind to revisit a time in the past when he came this far in the eastern direction to look for his daughters. It was in the Nashtezh Zuni Pueblo village that he found two young Nabeho children who were being kept as slaves. Hashkeh Yilnaba remembered 
that he had traded several rabbit furs for the two children, then sent a few of his warriors to take the children to the Tseyit Canyon Diche area because that was the place the children identified as home. At the time, the Nashtezha Zuni Pueblo people had been friendly and had fed Hashkeyit Napa and his warriors and sent them on their way with food and gifts. The same Nashtezha people were not friendly toward the Nabehua people who were being forced to walk in an eastward direction. Two Nabehua women left the safety of the Nashtezha Zuni Pueblo people to join their Nabehua people. Hashkeyitnapa learned from them that in the past few months, the Nashtezha people had given more than they wanted to. The mean, hungry soldiers had demanded food for their Nabeho Navajo prisoners. The corn that the Nashtezha people had neatly stored away for the coming winter was being confiscated from them at the mean soldiers' demand. Several Nashtezha warriors recognized Hashke Yitnapa as the tall, gentle leader and secretly offered him some corn and bread for his wife and children and secretly placed sharp arrowheads inside the soft bread. Hashke Yitnapa remembered that the Nashtezha people felt sorry for him when he came through many months before. At the time, he offered gifts of animal fur for any knowledge of his two daughters. The Nashtezha remembered that at the time, he was looking for his daughters. Once again, the Nashtezha warriors found the leader to be polite. He once again accepted their gifts of corn, bread, and squash. Hashkeh Yilnapa gave them several pouches of cooked pinyon nuts and juniper berries. The berries he gave them were smaller, sweeter, and of a more intense purple color than what the Nashtezha people were used to. The Nashtezha people knew the pinyon nuts were good to eat, but it was the juniper berries they were more interested in. They wanted them for the new dark color it would produce when dyeing wool. The trade was good for both groups, and the Nabeho and the Nashtezha were satisfied with the trade. The Nashtezha people felt sorry for the people who were being forced to walk eastward by the mean soldiers. The soldiers were the same ones who came and demanded that the people not help the Nabeho who were running trying to find hiding places so they would not have to be forced to walk to some faraway land. Hashkeyitnapa and his people walked through a sandy valley after leaving the land of the Nashtezha people. He recognized the areas they were being forced to walk through. He knew this was not the route that his son Nadayinapa had described. The place where his daughter, Ded Yezha Nazba, was to have been kept captive was in a wide green valley with large rock formations rising up to the sky. 
where Nabeho scouts could stay several days at a time to sit and keep an eye on the soldiers. This area they were being forced to walk through was thick with sagebrush and juniper trees, whereas the area where the soldiers lived was deeply forested, with several streams running through the mountains and the wide green valley. Hashke Yilnapa stopped to look around him. To the north of where they walked ran a west to east red or sometimes white boundary of tall, towering mesa walls that did not seem to end as he looked eastward and westward. The rock formations they traveled near were not of the lighter color or the dark color, almost black, his oldest son had described. Instead, the rocks were of a deep yellow color. His son had told of how the large rock formations rose up out of the ground as if they had been planted. Here there were formations that rose out of the ground, but the rock formations were attached to other rocks that formed boundaries on their left to the north. On their right and to the southern side, there were more dramatic rock formations. Hashkeh did not want to mention his concern to Nananaba. Every day she believed that day would be the day they would see their daughter, Ded Yezhnazba. Each day, Nananaba would ask, Is our baby's rug dress right on top? Are her moccasins right on top? At the end of each day, Hashkeyilnapa found Ninanabat's questions more and more difficult to answer, and at the end of each day, he found Ninanabat's disappointment more and more difficult to witness. It had been many weeks since they left the Hopi village. They came across many Nabeho who surrendered and joined them as they were being forced to walk toward the east. With each new sunset, the soldiers became more and more mean and angry. The mean soldiers demanded that Nabeho sheep and goats be killed for meat. The soldiers were not interested in parts of the sheep or the goat that were considered a delicacy by the Nabeho. Instead, when a sheep was butchered, the meat was what the mean soldiers demanded be cooked for them first. The leftovers were left for the Nabeho people to distribute among themselves. There were many evenings in which the soldiers did not want to wait for the people to prepare and cook the animal's intestines or organs or the head of the sheep or goat. Instead, they forced the people to keep walking eastward, leaving the uncooked delicacies heaped on the ground. The hungry Nabeho people reluctantly and sadly walked away from the most nutritious parts of the sheep or goats. We are hungry. Don't the soldiers know that? An older woman complained. 
the soldiers were not concerned. They marched their Nabehua prisoners eastward as if a rope tied them together, and whenever the rope was pulled, the people moved on. Whenever the Nabehua men were able to kill a sheep, a goat, or wild animals, Hashkehilnaba asked the men to butcher the animal quickly so the women could begin cooking the meat. He made sure the women and children were fed first. He also told the Nabehua men they could easily survive on plants, berries, and roots. The Nabehua people who had just joined them and who did not know Hashkehilnaba were surprised at the kindness of the leader. When he was given a fat piece of meat that was cooked, he cut the meat in two to be given first to Ninanaba and the other piece for Tsekiznazba. The younger siblings of Tsekiznazba were also given smaller choice pieces of meat. The group of Nabehu people under Hashkehilnaba's leadership were aware of Nananabat's goat. They kept a protective eye on the animal, but they worried about how long they could keep the soldiers away from selecting the prized goat for the evening meal. It was not long before the goat was being pulled by the horns toward a tree under which the butchering was to be done. Nananabat tried defending her animal, she bravely told the soldier to let it go. The soldier pushed her away and caused her to fall backwards. Once again, Ninanabat told the soldier to leave her goat alone. Dota, not this one. Dita This one is not for you, she demanded. Ninanabat was joined by Tsekiznazba. The soldier took one disgusted look at the young woman with blisters on her face and shot the goat. Disgust for the goat and for the women with blisters was evident on the soldier's face. The two women covered their ears when they heard the loud bleats Nananabat's goat made in his attempts to prolong his life. His bleats only reminded Nananabat of the time he had saved her life by scaring the Mexican man off of her and distracting him long enough for her to kill him with the long end of her spindle. Hashkehilnaba and his youngest son were away from the group gathering wood for the night when they heard the gunshot. Hashkehilnaba ordered the Nabeho men to gather the dried wood, then he began running back to the camp followed closely by a soldier on horseback. He dropped the wood he was carrying when he saw his Nananaba and Tsekiznazba in the center of the group being yelled at by a soldier. The two women were crying. Whom did they shoot? He asked hoarsely. His thoughts screamed as he glanced around in confusion. A goat was on the ground struggling for its last breath. When Hashkehilnaba looked down and saw it was his wife's prized goat, he sprang into action. Hashkehilnaba used a thick rope 
supplied by the soldiers to tie the goat's legs together. He then gently laid his wife's prized goat on the ground. He looked into the face of Nananaba, who was crying uncontrollably. Then he cut the throat of her favorite goat. Once again, Hashkehilnaba looked into the face of Nananaba and saw it had softened a little. After the draining blood had thinned, he untied the goat's legs, then tied the back legs together and threw the rope over a large branch of a juniper tree and hung the prized goat from the branch. While waiting for all the blood to drain, Hashkehilnaba used one of the sharp stones the Nashtezha people gave him to cut the skin away from the prized goat's body. Then he cut the legs and arms away from the rest of the body, but did not cut them completely off. Instead, he left them hanging to the side, bringing questioning looks from the Nabehua women. They told him to cut the arms and legs off, but Hashkehilnapa ignored their scolding tones. He then made a thin, long cut, exposing the stomach and other internal organs. The heat from Nenanabat's prized goat's body sent steam rising into the air. As the stomach and intestines came gushing out, three women rushed forward, caught the stomach and intestines, then placed them on the skin of the goat that was spread out on the ground. With the nutritious organs removed, Hashkehilnapa reached in and made a sideways slit into the bluish-green sack hanging near the goat's backbone. He watched as the dark bile spilled over the sides of the ribs. Then he grabbed the sack, squeezed it, and squirted the dark liquid on the meat of the arms and legs. Then he slit another sack containing the clear liquid and once again sprinkled it on the meaty limbs. When the liquid had all been drained, he announced in a loud voice, Agan do ajad do ishran do atsan e do nahat eda. Khalat rizabit ish do belish binakanikish do atsan bik itn sesas. Khanati bilagana do il dinner e dailrat. Deed e bichin. The arms and legs and backbone and ribs are not for us because I cut a hole through the two bladders that hold the bile and the urine and sprinkled the liquid they contained on the meaty portions. Let the obnoxious white men eat it. Tonight they will experience hardship. The goat they killed was very kind. The Nabeho men helped cook the evening meal generously, sharing the cooked meat with the soldiers while the Nabeho women and children were offered the intestines and the inside organs of the goat. The men built a large fire, and when the coals became very hot, they removed the coals and dug a hole where the fire had been burning. They placed the head and feet of the goat in the hot ground, covered it with leaves and sand, 
then replaced the fire and coals to cook the head and the feet of the goat in the hot pit. The men did not eat until the head and the feet of the goat were cooked, which was not until after midnight. Ninanabat did not eat any part of her prized goat. She silently cried alone while the people ate. Hashkehilnaba told several of his people to act sick during the night. When the Nabeho men had finished their meal, the soldiers began to have severe stomach pains. Children were told to cry and hold their stomachs while their mothers sat and held the little ones through the night. Everyone complained of stomach pains, making the soldiers believe the entire camp had been stricken with food poisoning. The Nabeho did not act sick for very long, but the soldiers became weak, less demanding and mean as long as their affliction lasted. The illness of the soldiers satisfied the Nabeho, who were very tired from being forced to walk in an easterly direction. Before they got sick, the soldiers were not willing to rest more than a night. The Nabeho people were thankful for the rest they were given by the prized goat. Once again, the goat was looking out for the health of Nenanaba and her Nabeho people. Nenanaba admired her husband for seeking a painful revenge for the soldiers. She had loved her goat. Even in its death, her goat, the one she named Chehendahasana, the old one that gets tired, was keeping the mean soldiers from leaving their campsite for the next two days. Through an interpreter, the soldiers announced that the Nabeho people would have to obey the commands of the soldiers because they would be camped out in the open for two days. Although the soldiers gave no reason for the delay, the Nabeho people were glad the poisoned meat had weakened the soldiers, which allowed rest for the tired and cold bodies of the Nabeho. Ninanaba knew her goat had given them a certain amount of peace of mind. The soldiers would not be attempting to rape the women and girls in their weakened state. Ninanaba also had the satisfaction of knowing the soldiers had paid for their mistake of killing her prized goat. The Nabeho women sat in groups and laughed at the soldiers. That is what they get for being so greedy, the women said in quiet laughter. They quietly laughed each time they heard a soldier throwing up. That night, Hashkehilnaba comforted his Nenanaba. He looked at her face. It had become sunburned. He gently wiped her face with water in which herbs had been soaking. He told Tsekiznazba to do the same. Then he took Nananabat's feet and rubbed the herbal solution on her tired feet, after which he sang a little song to her feet. Nananabat smiled at her husband 
She loved him. He was trying to cheer her up with a funny little song he had made up regarding her feet. Ninanaba was thankful the moccasins her father had made for her were holding up well. While the soldiers took time to recuperate, the Nabehu men took the opportunity to butcher six sheep that belonged to their kind leader. The meat was sliced into thin strips and set out to dry. The skins from the slain animals were saved for making moccasins for the older people and the children. Ashkehishnapa knew the ground would become covered with frozen dew in the early morning hours when the procession began their forced walk eastward once again. The women spent the early evening hours tanning the hides of the sheep that had been butchered at an earlier time. The men spent their time fitting and making moccasins for the people using the skins that were tanned before they left their homes. The small leftover pieces of hide that were not used for moccasins were sewn together for articles of clothing or covering for the elders on cold nights. A week after Ninanabat's prized goat had been killed, the group walked up and over a hill to find many of their Nabehua people camped in little clusters across a wide green valley. Instead of being forced to walk to Fort Defiance, Hashkehilnapa and his group had been forced to walk to Fort Fauntleroy, Fort Wingate, which lay in the Shashbetho Bear Spring Valley, a place the soldiers called Ojo del Oso. The Nabehua people had never seen so many soldiers. The people were confused. The men and boys were separated from the women and girls. Hashkehilnapa was roughly pushed away from his beautiful Nenanaba at gunpoint. My little one, don't be afraid, he said as he tried to control the fear and anger that rose into his throat. The men were all pushed carelessly forward into an empty corral. Many rifles were pointed at them to keep them from escaping. The Nabehua men were shouting encouraging words to their women and children. There was so much commotion, the women and children could not hear what the men and boys were saying. Egonapa was still holding his mother's pack. He hugged it as if it were his mother. He was afraid for his mother and Tsekiznaspa. He knew they were strong women who had survived incredibly difficult situations. He and his father watched Nananaba and Tsekiznaspa and the adopted children until the many soldiers hid them from view. The women and their children were forced to walk to a place where there were many soldiers, too many to count. Nananaba bravely walked along, leading her daughter-in-law and her adopted little ones. Somewhere in her heart, 
She was glad all the women would be placed in one area. It would give her a chance to look for her oldest daughter, the one she had not seen in many, many months. Bravely, Ninanabot searched the faces of the older girls and young women and those with little ones. Out of fear, the women grabbed their young daughters, telling them to hide their faces. Little boys stood straight, ready to die for their mothers and sisters. Ninanabot reached into the folds of her rug dress and felt for the herb that makes the young girls' faces blistered. The young girls clutched at their hearts. There were more soldiers than one person could count. Soldiers they would have to fight off. Nananabot ordered Tsek-Iznaz-Bot to rub the herb on her face and her hands and arms. Tsek-Iznaz-Bot quickly obeyed. Although blisters still remained on her face, she rubbed the herb on her face and that of her younger siblings. Ninanaba also rubbed the herb on her own face and arms. As the Nabehua women and children were forced to walk quickly past the soldiers, the soldiers poked at the women and girls with the end of their rifle, laughing and calling to the young Navajo women and girls. The women were relieved when a soldier with authority told the young soldiers to leave the women alone. Your assignment is to get as many of these savage Navajos to Fort Sumner as possible, not to see how many you can have for yourselves, he barked. This order angered the young soldiers, but they kept their distance, glancing greedily toward the women and young girls. One of the greedy soldiers stole away and ran toward the corral the Nabehua women and girls were herded into. He wanted to take a good look at some of the young girls he had seen earlier. The soldiers saw the Nabehua women and girls as prisoners of war, so their lives were not of any value. He crept close to the corral and saw Tsek Iznazba. He used a stick with a hook on one end and stuck the stick between the logs that made the wall of the corral. He smiled to himself when he hooked Tsek Iznazbat's leg and began to pull quickly on the stick. Feeling the stick hooked on her leg, Tsek Iznazbat gasped and tried to stifle a scream. It was too late. The soldier's actions caused the Nabehua women to pick up pieces of manure and throw them at the soldier. The soldier took one look at the young woman he saw earlier and dropped his stick with the hook and still attached to Zek Iznazbat's leg. He gasped. The young woman's face was badly blistered. The soldier with authority came running toward the corral while holding a rope he was swinging above his head. The Nabehua women knew this young woman was from the home of their kind leader. They had to protect her. The kind leader and his family had been through much difficulty. As the young girls saw the rope being swung above the old soldier's head, they began to scream even louder. 
The old soldier roped the young soldier and began pulling him away from the corral. Right there he whipped the young soldier with the free end of the rope. We are not savages like these people, he said. You will not treat these savages like that crazy, careless volunteer soldier, Kit Carson. We are soldiers of the United States Army. I will not have any of my soldiers acting like the lawless pretend soldiers. The volunteer soldiers under the command of that so-called Indian fighter, Kit Carson, are savages like these people. Do you understand me? Yes, sir, the young soldier barked back. I'm sorry, sir. I was just having a little fun with the savages, but they are sick. I don't want to get what they have. That young girl has a nasty disease. It's so bad it shows on her face and hands. These people are really sick. They got that disease from that lawless Indian fighter and his pretend volunteer soldiers, the old soldier shouted. The young soldier was dragged to the middle of the parade grounds. The Nabejo watched as the soldier was further reprimanded by his commanding officers. Tell the other soldiers what you are being punished for, the commanding officer barked. I tried to get the attention of a young Navajo savage, but she is covered in some nasty disease, the young soldier said. They are all sick. They have blisters on their faces. The young soldier was ordered to shovel out a large horse corral for the savage Navajos so they could be herded into the corral for counting until they moved on toward Fort Sumner. The soldier with authority ordered a young Mexican captive to tell the Navajo leaders that their people would be treated the same if they were found trying to run away. Tell them war has been declared against them. They are our prisoners, he ordered. When the message was communicated, disappointment could be seen on the faces of the Nabejo. The children began to cry. The women kept their hands over their mouths to keep from crying out of fear for their children. The men showed the tension in their bodies by flexing their arm and leg muscles. Their jaws were tight. Both corrals held Nabaihua people who were either afraid or angry and ready to fight for their freedom. Nananabat's heart sank. She did not see the face of her daughter. She looked toward the corral her husband and son had been herded into. She desperately wanted to ask him what they had done wrong or what her daughters had done that was wrong. The only reason she had left her home was to come and look for her daughter, Dediaj Nazba. Her throat was dry. Her mouth felt like it was lined with fur. Her heart ached from the fear and disappointment. She could not believe her ears. Hushkehilnapa kept his eyes on the corral in which his wife and adopted children were being held. How could he search for his daughter if she was kept in another corral? 
He had to trust Nananaba to look for their daughter while he searched the many faces of the Nabehuamen in search of his oldest son. Hashkehilnaba now had new worries. How could he protect his beautiful Ninanaba and his daughter-in-law if he was held at gunpoint in a dirty corral? He could hear the sound of children crying. He wanted to comfort his people, but he felt helpless. As a war leader, Hashkehilnaba felt helpless. He had made the decision to accompany his people, to protect them, but he could not protect them standing in this corral. He saw his role now as one of helping his people survive dangerous, uncertain times. Hashkehilnapa vowed to bring his daughters home. He also made a promise to bring all of his people back home to Zilajin, Black Mesa. He knew the strength of his family and his people would outlast the anger and destruction of the enemy soldiers. <laughs>